Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. Welcome to Broadview. Fantastic to see you here. I hope you've had a great week and um, I've really enjoyed the worship this morning, so thank you. Thank you, team. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris um, and I've got the privilege this morning of sharing with you the first of our Advent series about missing peace. And I get to share with you specifically about missing global peace. That's a small topic, so I would think we'd be finished in five or ten minutes so you can have an early mark, right? I want to start with a question. Has there ever been global peace? Has there ever really been global peace? Not that I know of. Do you know, after, um, after World War I, there was a thing called the League of Nations that was um, formed. Anyone know their history? No one knows their history. Okay, I'll tell you your history. 63 nations after World War I got together and formed the League of Nations. You know why they did it? They did it because they wanted to make sure that World War I never happened again. Right? 20 years later, what happened? And after World War II, guess what was formed? United Nations. Because clearly the League of Nations didn't quite do its job. And the United Nations has been around ever since, trying its best usher in world peace unsuccessfully. And in these days where we measure stuff all the time, did you know there's a global peace index? Go and look it up. Global, a GPI, as distinct from CPI, right? Go and look it up. Have a guess who's number one, the most peaceful country on earth. Getting close, up there. Iceland. There you go, isn't that interesting? And Australia is number 22, in case you're wondering. There's 163 last time I looked on the list. So, so where is this elusive global peace? How can we find it? And today I want to share three aspects of peace. And they'll come up on the next slide. The promise of peace, the presence of peace, and permanent peace. And as two of our passages this morning are from Isaiah, I wanted to give a little bit of context about Isaiah for those who might not know. Um, Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. Anyone know how many years before Christ he wrote? More than a couple, 700. 700 years before Christ, what we're gonna go through today was written. And Isaiah's theme was mainly two things, the judgment of God's people followed by their ultimate salvation. Isaiah itself actually means the Lord saves. And he spoke as a prophet to the kingdom of Judah. 
which was based in Jerusalem. And at the time of Isaiah's ministry, there was a vast Assyrian army to the north that threatened to capture the whole region. And locally, Judah was also being threatened by a new alliance between Israel and Aram. And Judah's king, Ahaz, decided that he was going to side with Assyria because they were big. And in the end, Israel and Aram were captured by Assyria. So Isaiah is writing to us, not exactly in a time of peace. And Isaiah's prophecy, if you read the whole book, speaks of a bigger story. It speaks of the judgment and the rebuke of all the world powers that stand against God's plan. And it talks about the final establishment of God's kingdom of peace and justice on earth. So let's have a look at the promise of peace. So in Isaiah chapter 8, I'm going to read from you, it'll come up on the screen, Isaiah chapter 9. But in Isaiah chapter 8, it's been pretty gloomy. Isaiah's not having a good time and it's pretty gloomy. And then we get to Isaiah chapter 9. And suddenly the Holy Spirit gives Isaiah a glimpse of the future. He fast forwards time. Suddenly he shows him what God will create. There's talk of light and joy and rejoicing in chapter 9 verses 1 to 5. And then we get to this famous verse which is, which is actually verse 6. And it says... For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wow, what a prophecy. What a prophecy. Let's just have a look at a couple of those things. It's a, a child is born. A son is given. See, God's plan for peace, it's not a bunch of rules, it's not a way of thinking about the world, it's not a concept, it is a person. It is the person of Jesus. And he's both human, a child is born, and divine, a son is given. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? A son is given. That means he's a gift. He's a gift. Jesus is a gift to the world. So Isaiah is describing a God who enters humanity. He enters history. He steps down from his throne. He is born and therefore he understands what every day is like for you and I. The trials, the joys, the tribulations... Jesus stepped into history. He lived his life exactly how we live it, day by day, going through the ups and downs. There's no other faith that I know of that makes such an outrageous claim, right? God becomes man. And Isaiah describes this child who will enter humanity in terms you normally only use for God, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, 
everlasting father, prince of peace. That's astonishing, astonishing description of this child. How can he be a mighty God when that's a term only given to the God of Israel described in the Hebrew scriptures? How can he be an everlasting father if he's soon to be born? So I'm sure Isaiah's audience must have scratched their head when they heard this. When will this be? How can it happen? Who will it be? You know, once upon a time, back in the day, Deb and I used to write Christmas letters to people interstate. It's a thing you used to do back then. And we would get Christmas letters back. And when we wrote our Christmas letters, we always tried to just be pretty, pretty neutral about you know, what the kids were up to and what we were up to, just you know, play it down a little bit. Um, but it always made us laugh when we got Christmas letters back, right? Because most of our friends interstate had children that could run 100 metres in 10 seconds by eight years old, right? They were members of Mensa at about seven. They took up the piano and six months later they'd gone from chopsticks to Chopin. Like, like they just talked their kids up and it used to make us laugh. It used to make us laugh. But what made us laugh more was we had some friends in the state that actually must have cottoned on to this idea, right? Of overstating the superbness of your children. So when they wrote us back, they actually said to us, our children are terrible. Like they are like here's average and they are down there, like they just, they just describe them in the lowest possible terms because they didn't want to be part of this, um, this kind of trend. So imagine if we'd have got a letter from one of them describing their children like Isaiah describes. Wouldn't that have got our attention? Wonderful counsellor, prince of peace. Fantastic, fantastic. And the fourth title given by Isaiah, the Prince of Peace, is actually explained in verse 7 of chapter 9. He will be the Prince of Peace because his kingdom will be marked by peace. And the Prince of Peace will establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness. Because you can't have true peace, you can't have perfect peace without perfect justice and perfect righteousness, can you? You think about it. You can't have peace at the expense of someone else not being peaceful. And so we have this promise. How many years before Christ? 700. Well done. Of the coming Prince of Peace. What an amazing and astonishing foretelling of God's plan for peace. So let's fast forward to the fulfilment of that prophecy 700 years later and we'll read from Luke chapter 2 verses 8 to 14 this is the night of Jesus birth and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified but the angel said to them do not be afraid I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. 
This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favour rests. Isn't that a magnificent passage? Out of Galilee, this backwater, born in a stall, born to a a very poor family, an unwed peasant girl, witnessed by some shepherds who were only just above lepers in terms of their social standing. This is where the saviour of the world was born. There's not too many markers of greatness in that resume, is there? And yet into this obscurity and weakness, the most influential person in all of history, by a very long way, was born. And you know, I know those shepherds were excellent. Do you know why? Because they were outstanding in their field. They were outcasts of society. As I said, they were just above lepers. They they didn't come to town. They had to stay out and look after their sheep. So here you've got a bunch of shepherds minding their own business and a few sheep. Probably having a game of fish or you know, a quiet night saying, gee, it's quiet out here, isn't it? Quiet here. And suddenly, bam, bam. And I can just picture the first angel with great joy announcing the news. Can you you see it? It's kind of relatively subdued. Relatively. It's hard to be subdued when you're announcing the saviour of the world, right? But relatively subdued. And in the background, there's the heavenly host, and they cannot wait. They they, They explode. They explode. They can't contain themselves. You know what it's like when you've got great news? Can you just imagine... Heaven was half empty and they exploded on earth with the great news of the coming of the Saviour. And do you know, do you notice they didn't say, tonight I'm announcing an advisor is coming. Tonight I'm announcing a philosopher is coming. Or a good teacher. No. They went straight to it. Tonight a Saviour has come. Tonight a saviour has come. Heaven comes to earth in stereo and announces the great news. Can you imagine the scene, the glory of God shining? Can you imagine it? Can you imagine it? And then we go on to verse 14 which says, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. So, Jesus was born to bring peace, right? That's what it says. So why haven't we got this global peace happening? What's going on? So the peace that Jesus came to bring, the, the, the reason he was born, was not for political peace, it wasn't for global peace, it wasn't even primarily for peace between people, right? And I'm not saying that as Christians we don't work for peace as hard as we can in every situation. I'm not saying that. 
But I'm saying, don't be surprised when there's not peace breaking out everywhere. Even Jesus said it when he's talking to his disciples in Matthew about the destruction of the temple and the end times. He says, you will hear of wars and rumours of war, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. The end is still to come. Nations will rise against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So Jesus himself is saying... Don't be surprised if we don't have global peace. So why, what peace did Jesus come to bring? He came to bring peace on earth between us and God. Between us and God. It's a peace that's absolute. It's not a peace that's partial or yet to come or imperfect. It is a peace that is absolute. Jesus brings us peace between mankind and God. It says in Hark the Herald, angels sing, God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace that Jesus came to bring. We are blemish-free if we accept God's gift of grace and forgiveness in Jesus. We can have peace with God. Once again, no other religion, no other faith system offers that. Through the work of Jesus, through his birth, through his life, through his death and resurrection, we can have peace with him. Nothing compares to that. In order to get this peace with God, we have to first admit that we're actually at war with God, our natural selves, our natural selves, before we accept Jesus, is at war with God. We're not even indifferent. We're actually hostile to God. That is our natural state. See, we don't need more guidance or help from God. We need peace with God. That is why Jesus came. That is why Jesus came. So that's not God wishing for peace on earth. It's actually way better than that. It's way better than that. It's the announcement that peace himself had come to earth. Peace is a person. Peace has arrived and is now lying in a manger. See, Advent means... Everyone know what Advent means? Coming or arrival. So Advent means coming or arrival. And we read in Luke 2 that the Saviour, the long-promised Messiah, that Messiah that Isaiah talked about all those years ago, has come. So Jesus' first coming, his first coming was to enable us to have peace with God. So don't be surprised that global peace hasn't broken out. Because we live in the sure hope that the story is not yet finished. Not yet finished. So we've had a look at the promise of peace, Isaiah's prophecy. We've had a look at the presence of peace, Jesus being born. Let's bring this home by talking about permanent peace. 
And again, we'll read from Isaiah, this time from chapter 2. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, and it will be exalted above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords and plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob's, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Again, isn't that, isn't that a beautiful prophecy? See, like Jesus, Isaiah knew that the way things are is not the way they're always going to be. Isaiah had a vision, a promise, that was spoken originally to God's people of Israel about the way things will be. And I just want to look at a couple of points in that beautiful passage. The first one is, there's an image of the people of all nations coming to the mountain of God. That would have been pretty radical in those days because that wasn't just talking about Israel, that was talking about all nations, all people coming to the mountain of God and worshipping him. It would have been almost impossible for them to imagine that back in the day. And the second image gets even better. The very things that separate and divide us, weapons of war... Swords and spears will be transformed into plowshares and pruning hooks. So that's really significant. The, weather, the weapons aren't just laid aside for another day. They are transformed into useful tools, into things of God's kingdom. And they're transformed in a way that only God can transform it. So the earth is transformed from a battleground to a fertile garden. You see, Advent's not just about this sweet little baby in a manger who was promised long ago. There is another Advent, another arrival, a play here for us as Christians, and that is the second coming of Christ. In Advent, we recognise that we are living between comings and we are called to embrace the expectation for a time when Christ will indeed return to the earth and fulfill all those promises that Isaiah and other scriptures tell us about. Isaiah calls us out of the darkness. He says, rise and shine. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. These words are meant to fill us with hope. A hope that God's word will be fulfilled. So in the end, Isaiah offers not only what is a vision of global transformation but an invitation to live that now. Are you still with me? We're nearly there. We're nearly there, I promise. Okay, so let's just recap. The promise of peace. 
That's the prophecy of Isaiah. Wonderful counsellor. Mighty God, Prince of Peace. The presence of peace. The angels announcing the glory of God in Jesus. Come to earth, born as a human. And permanent peace, what we've just looked through in Isaiah chapter 2. The weapons of war will not just be put aside for a rainy day to be used again. They will be transformed into, into weapons, in, into, into um, things that will help us maintain the world in a fertile and productive and loving way, in, a, in the way that only God can do that. So, promise of peace, presence of peace, permanent peace. See, God's promise of deliverance and peace comes in two stages. The first occurred when God became incarnate 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. He entered history to bring peace between us and God. There's a really strong sense in which that kingdom is already here. That's, an already, that's already available to us. But Jesus also spoke about coming again to finalise the kingdom of God on earth. In this sense, the kingdom is not yet. It's yet to come. And we live in that time. We're waiting for the day when the lion and the lamb will lay together in peace, when there'll be no poverty, when there'll be no death, there'll be no war, there'll be no sorrow. In Advent, we remember the anticipation of Christ's first coming as well as his promised return. And it's not a passive anticipation, it's an active anticipation. We are actively participating in God's kingdom now because of the peace we have with God through Jesus. But it is not yet complete. It is not yet complete. So, be expectant. Be expectant. Live in the hope of the day when Jesus will come again to bring the new heaven and the new earth. Where all those who truly, truly follow him will live in peace. So my prayer for us today is simple. Number one, that we never, ever lose the wonder, the wonder of Christ coming the first time. What a glorious night that was. Never lose the wonder that God loves us. Never lose the wonder of the miracle that he loves us. Despite what we do, despite our sinfulness, he looks at us as though we're Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Jesus in us. Never lose the wonder of that. But also live expectantly. We live in the hope of Jesus coming again to bring in a permanent and a lasting peace. Let's pray. Our God, our Father, we are amazed that you would love us, that Jesus would step down from glory into humanity and live a life of perfection, be betrayed by his friends, crucified, killed, 
and that you would raise him up. And Father, that when you look at those who follow you, you see the righteousness of Jesus. That is an amazing gift. Thank you for the peace that we can have with you through Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. And we live in the expectation of Christ's second coming, where global peace will break out, where there'll be no war, there'll be no tears, there'll be no sorrow. Father, it will be perfect, permanent and lasting peace in your kingdom. Father, thank you for that hope, thank you for that promise. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.